Hilltop Church Sabbath School Study Hour. I'm Pastor Rod Thompson. I'm going to be leading our study today. We're going to be looking at lesson number 11 in our quarterly titled God's Mission, My Mission. But before we get into that, I want to point you to our free offering that we have today to go along with our study. It is this booklet titled The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman. And you can get this free booklet by calling the number 866-788-3966 and asking for offer number 126. You can also get it if you're in the United States by texting the code SH107 to the number 40544. And if you're outside of the United States and you'd like a uh, electronic download, you can go to your browser and type in the URL study.aftv.org forward slash sh107. And so that'll be a, a good uh, aid to go along with our study today. But before we begin our study, let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, loving Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share with your people today the message that you have put on my heart. And Lord, I pray that it would touch all of our hearts, that you would uh, speak to us, uh, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, send your holy angels to be with us. And uh, Lord, our prayer is that it would bring glory to you and that it would be a tool in the hands of your people as we witness to those around us. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, whether you're here in the sanctuary with us or whether you're at home online in the local area watching or across the country or around the world, I wanna welcome you and thank you for uh, joining us here today. Our, our study today is titled, Mission to the Unreached, part two. That means that last week we had Mission to the Unreached, part one. And I hope that you were blessed by last week's study as much as I was. And if you remember, uh, last week we looked at Paul's uh, message that he gave to the Arapagus in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And I don't know about you, but I saw in that study last week four valuable tools, life applications that I can use myself in my own witnessing to others. And I thought that we would just uh, review those four very quickly. The first one was that people's cultures with their deep-seated worldview assumptions are their only frame of reference. And people cannot be confronted with things that are beyond their frame of reference and be expected 
to respond appropriately or positively. It is therefore essential that we be sensitive to the daily realities of the people that we are trying to witness to. The second thing that I saw in that study is that we need to use restraint in our attitude towards non-Christians by talking to them, by getting to know them, by studying uh, their beliefs, we should be able to find a common point of interest that we can start with. That's what we learned in last week's study. As Paul was trying to reach those in Athens, he studied what they believed and he used that to be able to use that as a springboard into his conversation with them about Jesus Christ. And so we need that starting point if we're going to have an effective witness. And the third thing that I saw is that we also need to focus on a person's felt needs and aspirations so that we can show them how Jesus can meet those needs and desires. We should not allow our cultural perspectives to get in the way and we should not assume that our audience knows what we know, cares about what we care about, or believes what we believe. They may not have an understanding or a concept of sin. Therefore, they may not even have a, a a conscious feeling of guilt about their sin or the fact that they may need forgiveness from God for their sins. And then the fourth thing that we saw was that we need to guard ourselves from watering down the message while we are in the process of adapting to our audience. And family, I think that this is a really big concern in the church today. Unfortunately, in my opinion, there are many people that are watering down the message in, in an effort to try and bring people into the church saying we shouldn't be so rigid in our doctrines and in our beliefs. And uh, I I have compassion with that. I have sympathy with that. But I don't think that lowering the standards is what God would have us do when it comes to our witness to others. But hey, that is a topic for another day. Today we are going to look in our study to Christ's mission to tire and Sidon and try and draw lessons from that story in how we can reach people in the cities. I'd like you to notice something that it says in the book Acts of the Apostles on page 16. It says, the Jewish leaders thought themselves too wise to need instruction too righteous to need salvation, too highly honored to need the honor that comes from Christ. The Savior turned from them to entrust to others the privileges they had abused 
and the work that they had slighted. God's glory must be revealed, His word established. Christ's kingdom must be set up in the world. The salvation of God must be made known in the cities of the wilderness, and the disciples were called to do the work that the Jewish leaders had failed to do. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what God is calling us to today, that He can use us to reach the people of the cities, the urban areas around us. And so we want to pay attention to this lesson that we can learn from Jesus' mission to Tyre and Sidon. Because God's intention was that Israel would reach the world with the gospel message. But they turned inward. They separated themselves from the world and they considered salvation only possible for the Jews and from all of those that God desired for them to reach. But from the very beginning, God has sought to save those who are lost. And even till this day, God is seeking to save the lost, even the lost of the cities. I find it very interesting that it pointed out in our lesson this week that the United Nations says that by the year 2050, that's not too long from now, just under 30 years. If Jesus chooses to tarry that long, they're saying that by 2050, nearly 70% of the people in the world will be living in the cities, in urban areas. I would like you to join me in turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 And while we are getting to Matthew chapter 15, I just want to go back a little bit to Matthew chapter 14 and sort of lay the foundation for where we are going. Uh, we notice in Matthew chapter 14 that John the Baptist was beheaded. And we read in there that when Jesus got word of that, that he departed from that area. And I imagine that Jesus left the area there because he, he knew that uh, if he remained in that area, he could be next. And uh, Jesus had everything, all of his ministry was on a timetable. Uh, he would repeatedly say, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And then when it was time, he headed straight to the cross. And so uh, Jesus left that area. And then you have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when they had finished doing that, you see that he told his disciples to get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. But then Jesus went up into a mountain by himself to pray. And uh, that evening, as the disciples are, are fighting against the storm to try and get across the lake, Jesus comes walking across the lake. 
and he gets into the boat with them, and the Gospels say that they were immediately on the other side. And uh, in fact, verse 34 says, when they crossed over, they came to Gennesaret. Now, I'd like you to look here with me in Matthew chapter 15, and look with me at verse 21. The Bible says, Then Jesus went out from there, that's from Gennesaret, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I love the way this week's study pointed out that Tyre and Sidon were pagan places. And I find it interesting because when Jesus gets there, he's going to tell uh, the people there that he is with that he was uh, come only to the lost house of Israel. And yet, he is now going outside of Israel into foreign regions. And we might ask ourselves, why would Jesus do that? And I think that there's a very simple answer for that. You see, Jesus needs to take his disciples on a field trip. They need to be on location. Jesus can't teach them how to reach out to other nations and nationalities and ethnic groups and cultures there in Galilee. He has to take them out and show them by example how to reach other people, groups, including those who live in the cities and urban areas. Now I want to have you hold your place here in Matthew chapter 15. We're coming back to Matthew, but I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 3. And I want to take a look at something here just for a moment. Judges chapter 3, and I'd like you to notice what it says starting in verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon and Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he might do what? That he might test Israel by them to know whether they would do what? Whether they would obey his commandments the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. I want you to notice here that it says essentially that God allowed his people to live among 
the pagan nations. Now you remember that God had told them that he was going to uh, take them into the promised land and he was going to drive out their enemies before them. But we see here that God allowed for some of those pagan nations to remain there and for his people to live among them. And I would ask yourselves, why would God do that? And again, I think that it's very clear there in Scripture. There was a very important reason. Look with me again at verse 4. It says that he might test them to see if they would obey his commandments. Now, isn't that interesting? God doesn't do away with the pagans, but rather he allows his people to live among them to see if his people would be a positive influence to the pagan nations or whether the nations would influence his people for evil. Well, let me just say this. If God did that for ancient Israel so long ago, should it surprise us if God would do the same thing for us today? Friends, I don't know if you have noticed lately, but this world is getting darker and darker. And what are we going to do? Are we going to run away and go find a cave to live in? Or, or are we going to go live out in the, in the mountains? I believe there is a time coming when we are going to have to do that. But is that what we are called to do now? In spite of the danger of being swept away by the tide of evil... God is inviting us to be a part of his mission. That's our study this quarter, right? God's mission should be our mission. And so the question is, as we are living among the, the pagans of the world, as this world is getting darker and darker, are we allowing the world to influence us, drag us down, or are we going to be a positive influence in the world? And uh, I think that we might even ask ourselves, why would God allow us to live among the pagans? And uh, I think, again, the answer is very, very clear. Because God is working. And God is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so in spite of the danger of being swept away by the influences of the world, God is inviting us into the lion's den. He's inviting us into the dragon's lair. He's inviting us into the heart of Babylon. And he graciously extends the call to us for his mission to the cities. I remember five years ago, I was pastoring in Michigan. And it seemed like about every quarter, we had a pastoral meeting, and I was hearing 
this pastor is leaving and going here and that pastor is leaving going there and I remember thinking to myself why would anyone ever want to leave Michigan I love the Michigan Conference I love the leadership there they're doing a fantastic job of, of of, of keeping the standard high and, and uh, teaching their pastors how to, 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 to reach people. And then three years ago, I got a call from Pastor Doug Batchelor asking me to come to Amazing Facts. And I remember thinking to myself, I do not want to move back to California. I want to be here in Michigan. But I told him that I would pray about it, and I did, and my wife prayed. My wife and I prayed, uh, and I talked to him a few times, and we kept praying, and, and I told the Lord, if you are calling me back to California, you are going to have to make it absolutely perfectly clear to me because I don't want to go to California. But then the Lord made it absolutely, perfectly, abundantly clear to me that He was moving me back to California, back to the heart of Babylon, back into the city. And so what was I to do? I, I don't know about anyone else, but I don't want to be anywhere except for where the Lord wants me. And so if the Lord's calling me back to the city, back to that kind of ministry, then it's okay, Lord, I am all in. And that's what I loved about Jesus. Jesus was always where the people were. He went to the most difficult places and he was always moved by compassion for his sheep who were without a shepherd. Now let's go back to the book of Matthew. But before we go back to chapter 15, I'd like to go just for a moment to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I want you to notice what it says, starting in verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, that's the ten cities, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Here we see that there were a multitude of people that were following Jesus. They came from all of these surrounding areas all around Galilee. And uh, it's, it's, I want you to notice there that there were some areas that were left out. Notice there that none of the cities that are there along the Mediterranean Sea, 
uh, along that coastal region that are mentioned, cities like Tyre and Sidon. I, I find it very interesting that it tells us that there were many people coming to Jesus from all the surrounding areas. They were all coming in. I apply that to myself today, and I have the joy and the privilege here at the Granite Bay Hilltop Church. We have a church plant that we have over in Folsom, about uh, 30 minutes or so away. But as I am pastoring that church, we're seeing people from all of the surrounding communities starting to come. We have people coming from, from Placerville and from Cameron Park and from Rancho Cordova and all of these uh, cities are coming in. And it's a very exciting thing to see people coming to us. But I want you to notice something very important. As Jesus is ministering and all of these people are coming, notice that Jesus doesn't sit back and say, yeah, that's right, all of you come to me. Here I am. If you want something, you got to come here. And, you know, we kind of have a tendency to do that today. You know, here we are. We're the church. We're over here. Come, come here. We have a tendency to do that. And certainly Jesus ministered to all of those people. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't just leave it at that. What did Jesus do? He went to those areas that weren't represented there. Those, those areas where the people were not coming, he went there. Let me, let me just say this from the book Desire of Ages, page 399. Notice what it says. The work before him now was to prepare his disciples for their mission. In coming to this region, talking about Tyre and Sidon, he hoped to find the retirement that he had failed to secure at Bethsaida, yet this was not his only purpose in taking this journey. Let me see if I can put it yet another way. And we can apply this to ourselves today. Essentially, what it's saying to us there in the desire of ages is that, that Jesus' mission was to prepare his disciples for their mission. And I would say that that is the exact same thing that God is desiring to do today. He wants us to be involved in his mission of reaching the lost. And so there is a very valuable lesson that we can learn from Jesus' uh, trip to Tyre and Sidon. So go back with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and I want you to notice, we read verse 21. 
It says, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Then notice verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. I don't know about you, family, but I was intrigued when I read the following statement in Tuesday's lesson. It said this, Bible scholars believe that the Gospel of Matthew had been written specifically for the Jews and that Mark was written primarily for a Gentile audience. Now, I had never looked at Matthew and Mark that way. For many years now, I have been doing comparative studies between the four Gospels, and I've often asked people the question, why are there four Gospels? I mean, why do we need four different people telling us about the life and the ministry of Jesus? And again, I think the answer is very simple, and that is that Jesus is so multifaceted that we uh, have all of these different perspectives of him that we need to look at. And so there are, are four different Gospels. And so in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, you have Matthew who was a tax collector. He was a, he was a governmental person and uh, he had that sort of world view. And we have Matthew giving the genealogy of Jesus, and he goes back through the line of David. And there's a reason for that, because it was expected that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And then you have the Gospel of Mark. And it's very interesting that in Mark there is no genealogy. And I think that there's an important reason for that because Mark gives us the perspective of Jesus as the suffering servant and no one cares about the pedigree of a servant. And then you get into the Gospel of Luke and Luke was a doctor. And so it should make very logical sense to us that Luke would give us the perspective of Jesus as being fully human. And that's why in his genealogy Luke goes all the way back to Adam, the first man. And then you get into the Gospel of John. And John was the theologian of the bunch. And John gives us a very interesting perspective of Jesus as being divine, as being the eternal God. And his genealogy is in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he reveals to us that Jesus pre-existed his birth, that he is the eternal God. And so it always made sense to me that you had these four Gospels. But when I read that uh, the Gospel of Matthew was written specifically for the Jews and that Mark was written specifically for the Gentiles, it caused me to look at this study a a little bit differently than I perhaps would have. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this story. The reason that they pointed out Matthew and Mark is because this story of this Canaanite woman 
is in both Matthew and Mark. So let's look here at Matthew, since we're here. Uh, we already looked at verse 1. Jesus departed, went into Tyre and Sidon, and behold, this woman of Canaan came in, in, from uh, that region, from Tyre, and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So there is Matthew's account of this story. Now let's go to the next, next book to the right, Mark, and go to chapter 7, and let's look at this same story here, starting in verse 24. The Bible says, From there he arose, that's Jesus, and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Now when you compare these two stories, you get a, a little bit of different information in each one of them. But I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that Matthew was written for the Jews. And so put yourself in their place. If you were a Jew in, in the days that Jesus walked this earth, then they, they viewed the Canaanites as enemies. They hated the Canaanites. They considered them heathens. They considered them idol worshipers. And even the disciples did not consider that this woman was worth any of their time. They certainly didn't feel that she would have had faith or that she would be a worshiper of the one true God. In fact, we read there that they urged Jesus to send her away. Now, on the other side of that, in the Gospel of Mark, written for the Greeks or the Gentiles, we should be able to uh, put ourselves in their place and see that they would have been more 
easily and readily uh, able to identify with this woman and have sympathy for her. They would not consider this woman's ethnicity, her nationality, or, or her culture to be a barrier to God. They would have been able to identify with her as a mother pleading on behalf of her child. And so we, we see here that we have different world views and those who have a different world view, in other words, a different filter through which they see things, they would respond differently. They would have different reactions to the gospel. And so Jesus has to get his disciples to move beyond their worldview, beyond their filter, beyond their prejudices, to see that this woman was also a child of God. You remember that uh, there were many times that Jesus was trying to, to, to break down that barrier, break down that prejudice of his people. And we, we remember that, that later on, Jesus had to drive this point home even further. You remember the story, Peter uh, was uh, at Simon the Tanner's house. He was staying with him he, and he went up on the roof and they were uh, making some lunch and he was hungry and he went into a, a trance. He had a vision where he saw this sheet that came down, these four uh, footed animals on them that were unclean and he is told to, to eat. And you remember what Peter said, no Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. Well, Peter sees this vision three times and then he, he comes out of that vision and just at that very moment there are some men that are coming from a Gentile, from Cornelius, who had a vision himself and he was told to send some men to go to Simon the Tanner's house and get Simon Peter and bring him back to his house. And at that very moment when they tell him that, Peter hears from the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking to him, saying, do not be afraid to go with them. And so Peter is going with them to Cornelius' house. And you can imagine that as they were walking, Peter is processing all of this in his mind. And Peter knows Jesus well enough. He, he walked with him for three and a half years. He knows him well enough to know that, that Jesus wasn't telling him that now all of a sudden unclean meat is okay to eat. And so Peter's trying to process this. And by the time he gets to Cornelius's house, he's figured it out. Because when he walks in and Cornelius is there, the first thing that Peter says is, you know that it is unlawful for me, a Jew, to come here to, to you. But God has shown me not to call any man common or unclean. And so Jesus is continuing 
to drive this home. But we see in the story of Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon that he's trying to teach his disciples that everyone is to be reached, that they are not to be prejudiced towards them. And then, of course, you know, you have Saul of Tarsus who is persecuting God's people. He's on his way to Damascus. He has that, that bright light experience with, with Jesus and he is converted, and now he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and you see the gospel go to the world. In other words, salvation is available to all humanity, not just the Jews. Well, family, I don't know about you, but this also reminds me of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13 of the tares and the wheat. You know the story. Uh, they, they, they plant some wheat, but some tares come up and they, the, the workers go to the master and they say, should we pull the tares out? And he says, no, 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 you can't. You got to leave them. They got to grow up together. We will separate them at the harvest. And the point is in all of this that you and I, we don't know who's a tare and who's a wheat. We don't know who will respond to the gospel message and who won't. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us we are to try and reach everyone. We are not to be prejudiced. And Jesus and Paul weren't the only ones to teach this. Uh, James also had something to say about it. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, if you get to Hebrews, it's right after that. James chapter 2, and I want you to notice what James has to say, starting in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be reached in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So, so here we see James essentially giving the same teaching that Jesus was doing, trying to show his disciples that they are to reach everyone and not to allow their prejudices to stop them from uh, witnessing to everyone around them. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. 
And let's look at this story a little further. We saw verse 21, Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon. We saw in verse 22, this Canaanite or this Syrophoenician woman coming. And then verse 23, after she asked him for help with her demon-possessed daughter, notice what Jesus, or notice what the Bible says. It says, but he answered her not a word. Now, brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about that? Jesus answered her not a word. I, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I, I sometimes have wondered, well, well that seems kind of rude. Why didn't Jesus respond to her? But family, if there is one thing that I have learned about Jesus in my walk with him, it is that everything that Jesus does or doesn't do has a purpose. And so I have to ask myself, what is the purpose in this? Why isn't Jesus answering her? And I'd like you to notice what it says in the book, Desire of Ages, in that same section that we read earlier, page 399. It says, The people of this district were of the old Canaanite race. They were idolaters, and they were despised and hated by the Jews. To this class belonged the woman who now came to Jesus. She was a heathen and was therefore excluded from the advantages which the Jews daily enjoyed. There were many Jews living among the Phoenicians, and the tidings of Christ's work had penetrated to this region. Some of the people had listened to his words and had witnessed his wonderful works. This woman had heard of the prophet, who it was reported healed all manner of diseases, as she heard of his power, hope sprang up in her heart. Inspired by a mother's love, she determined to present her daughter's case to him. It was her resolute purpose to bring her affliction to Jesus. He must heal her child. She had sought help from the heathen gods, but had obtained no relief. And at times she was tempted to think, what can this Jewish teacher do for me? But the word had come, he heals all manner of diseases, whether those who come to him are, for help are rich or poor. She determined not to lose her only hope. Now pay attention to this. Jesus knew her situation. He knew that she was longing to see him and he placed himself in her path. I'm going to pause there for a moment because I want you to notice what happened here. Jesus knew that this woman was seeking him and so he must meet with her and so he placed himself in her path. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we are praying enough, Lord, put me in the path of someone who needs you today. I wonder how often we pray that prayer. I, I, I think from this point forward, I'm planning to pray that prayer every morning. Lord, put me in the path of someone who needs you today. 
Put the words in my head and in my heart. Help me to speak to them that they might find you in the midst of their distress, in the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their problems. Lord, give me a divine appointment for this day. It goes on to say, by ministering to her sorrow, he could give a living representation of the lesson he designed to teach. Here we see, I'm going to pause again for a moment. Here we see that not only was Jesus' purpose to meet this woman who was seeking him and to help her, but his purpose was also to teach a very valuable lesson to his disciples. It goes on to say, For this he had brought his disciples into this region. He desired them to see the ignorance existing in cities and villages close to the land of Israel. The people who had been given every opportunity to understand the truth, talking about the, the nation of Israel, were without knowledge of the needs of those around them. No effort was made to help souls in darkness. The partition wall which Jewish pride had erected shut even the disciples from sympathy with the heathen world. But these barriers were to be broken down. What a powerful message for us today that Jesus was teaching his disciples. It's recorded there for us. Paul tells us all of these things were written down for those of us who are living in the last days. And so we see that we need to be praying and asking, Lord, Lord, put me in a place where I can reach someone for you today and that we also uh, are see that, that we may have our own prejudices and our, and our own faults and God is trying to mold and fashion us as well. And so at the same time that we're trying to reach others, God is working in us. Now let's go back to that story in Matthew 15. We see that Jesus did not respond to this woman's request. He received this representative of a despised race in the same way that the Jews would have done it. This is an important point in this. Jesus is not responding to her because we would expect that that's how the Jews would be. They hated the Canaanites. They caused them so many problems. And so Jesus responds for a moment the same way that they would have. And we know that it had the effect that Jesus wanted because what happened? Immediately after that, the disciples come to him and say, Master, send her away. She's just crying out to us. Get her out of here. And so the, the, the desire of Jesus was to impress upon his disciples the coldness and the, 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 the prejudice and the lack of compassion, the heartless manner in which they, the Jews, would treat such a case. And then he responds to this woman 
in a way to test her as well. He says to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And again, he is uh, allowing this woman to process all of this. And it says that she still came and she worshiped him. And that's when Jesus says to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now here is something that's absolutely incredible to me. This woman was essentially uh, treated by the Jews, is, is, is being told that she's a dog. And she says, yes, Lord. She identifies with the dog because now she has found a common place where she can come in as well. And she says, yes, I'm a dog, but even the dogs are allowed to eat from the master's table. What a, a powerful message to us that even those who we think are not worthy of the gospel. Uh, perhaps uh, I have to confess, uh, I, I, I had a, a time where, where I needed to witness to someone and I was, I was very upset and I said, oh, they, they, I've tried before, they will never listen. But brothers and sisters, we can't do that. We can't not try to reach people for the kingdom of God just because we think that they won't respond. And so this woman urges her case before Jesus and Jesus responds in a very powerful way. And he says to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And the scripture tells us that her daughter, uh, the demon, came out of her. So Jesus had just departed from his field of labor because of the scribes and the Pharisees who were seeking to take his life. They murmured and they complained. They manifested unbelief and bitterness. They refused the salvation so freely offered to them. And here Jesus meets one of those unfortunate, despised races that has not received the favor of the light of God's word, yet she yields at, at once immediately to his divine influence and has implicit faith in his ability to do what she has asked. And the Savior is satisfied. He has tested her faith by her dealings with her. He has taught this very important lesson to his disciples and to us. And friends, this was the only miracle that Jesus did while on this journey. It was the performance of this act. It was the very reason that he went to Tyre and Sidon. He wished to relieve this afflicted woman and at the same time leave an example of his work for his disciples and how they should have mercy and compassion towards others.
This act opened the minds of his disciples more fully to the labor that lay before them for the Gentiles. They saw a wide field of usefulness outside of Judea. They saw souls bearing sorrows unknown to those more highly favored. And isn't that the same work that God is calling us to? His mission should be my mission, should be your mission. I don't know about you, but I can't help but think about that song, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Is that the desire of your heart? If it is, I'd like you to pray with me now. But before we pray, just let me remind you of that free offering for today, the beast, the dragon, and the woman. And you can get that once again by calling 866-788-3966 and asking for free offer number 126. Let's pray. Oh, loving Father, we thank you, Lord, for this study today. And what a powerful message to us that you are trying to break down the prejudices. You are trying to break down the walls. And you are trying to get us to see that all humanity, are your, uh, it's your desire for all to be saved, none to be lost. And Lord, I know that you are, are desiring to use us to reach your people. And so our prayer is that you would show us what you would have us do. Lord, put us in a path where we can be used by you. And Lord, give us the words and the actions that we might truly bring you glory and hasten the day of the coming of Jesus. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.